2: Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. On this episode, we're joined by Ben McAdams, friend of our show and former congressman and founder of the Common Ground Institute, which is an organization focused on promoting and building consensus, consensus on important public policy issues. He is also newly employed at the Sorenson Impact Center at the University of Utah's Eccles School of Business, which promotes investing in causes of public good as well. So uh, Ben, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Jason and Amy, so great to be with you.
3: OK, so I have to start. I am just dying to know what it's been like for you to watch um, the last few <laughs> months. Yeah. And, and especially um, I think of you every time they talk about the deficit, <laughs> the Republicans mm-hmm. talk about the deficit, because that was a priority of yours. That was something you wanted to to get some bipartisan support for. Yeah. Um, and it never you could not get any traction um, outside of a news story here and there. So what's it been like for you the last couple months?
1: You know, to be honest, I have to say I do not miss it. It is you just—it is so toxic and so divided back there. Uh, and and you're right on so many issues that I think are, are critical. That, that the the future of our country is being decided with the actions we take right now. And in many cases, we're not taking any action. Mm-hmm. We are mired in gridlock and divisiveness. And and you see both sides doing things to to just make the situation worse. So. You know, it was um, my last day as a member of Congress was January 3rd. Three days after that was the insurrection at the Capitol with all of the violence and um, that ensued with that. And um, it just seems, you know, I thought it was really bad over the last two years. And it seems that it's only gotten worse. So it's it's really, really disappointing. And while I say I don't miss it, I I do feel like I've got more to give. I, I love our country. We are the best country in the world in spite of our our failings right now. We are still, I think, the best country in the world, the the world's first democracy. And um, and we've got to fix it. I believe that we can, but we have to fix what's broken in Washington. And if we're going to fix it, we have to start by having representatives who, who are going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so, you know, I, I don't miss it on a personal level. It's been really nice to be at home, to to see my family, my wife and our four kids spend more time with them and not split my time between two cities and, uh, and to take a break from the negativity and toxicity that exists in, in Washington. But, you know, I do hope that we can fix what's broken and get things back on the right track.
2: You know, um, I am really sorry to hear you say that because I, I, I want you to bring my life back into some semblance of order (laughs) in a couple of years because, it has gone way off the rails <laughs> at this point, and I remember you uh, when when I when um, gosh, I can't remember her name. All of a sudden, uh, who who was your predecessor?
3: Mia Love. Oh, Mia Love.
1: Mia
2: Love. Yeah. Love. Yeah. I remember. I thought that was you know way crazy. Yeah. Crazy has gone to another level now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I want some semblance of center reasonability. Not this again. Toxic, extremes, just extremes. extreme. Yeah. No, it just it doesn't make sense. Kind of conspiracy theories, not taking responsibility, always blaming one side, and never taking any of the responsibility for some of the problems that have been created by the other side. And I mean, you were an antidote to that. And and I recognize your life is much simpler now, and there's a lot less craziness. However, um, there's part of me that hopes that one day you feel like. It's worth trying again because i mean people like you are where we're going to how we're going to get to where we're going to get it's it's not electing more of these right wingers who have no sense of you know common ground with anybody other than democrats bad us good despite the fact that we do crazy things like storm the capitol and create one of the most despicable and uh ashamed days we've ever had in the history of the country and somehow they, they they come up with all this craziness about Antifa and uh, BLM being responsible for it when they know in their heart of hearts and they watched it be people who supported the former president and it's it's just it's disgraceful.
1: It, it really is, and it's really sad. I think it's a sad day for our country and sad to see. We keep thinking we have sunk so far, and and then the next year brings us even deeper into this division and and brokenness in Washington. And you know, I I don't know what my future holds. I I, I certainly I do feel like I've got more to give to our state and to our country, and and that may include running for office in in two years. It may be ten years. It may be if my wife gets her way. It may be never again. But <laughs> but I do think I do think um, I, I what I do know is whether it's running for office or in a different capacity, I'm interested in public service, and that's what that's what uh, I I like right now about the opportunities that I'm I'm doing right now is it's I'm able to continue to give back to a state and a community that I love. Uh, I'm not, uh, not as an elected official, but in, in new ways and, and, uh, still able to do public service. And, um, in the meantime, I think, I, I think you're right, Jason. I think we've got to fix what's broken. We need people in Washington who can say, look, who can not only recognize, but admit it publicly that there are good ideas on both sides of the aisle. There are actually bad ideas on both sides of the aisle. Being able to take a little bit, both parties should take some blame and some credit for the some credit for the good and some blame for the bad that lies on both sides of the aisle, but also recognizing that even when you disagree with somebody, you can learn from listening, from uh, listening to their ideas and trying to understand where they're coming from. You may never agree, but mm-hmm. the, just the act of listening makes it makes our ideas and our policies better. And I think we need to have people there who who aren't going to just point fingers and say the other side is awful. The other side is. You know, has no nothing to contribute. We just need to beat them, beat them, and win in the next election, and and, and ignore them in the interim. Uh, we need to have people who are listeners, people who are going to recognize the value in differences of opinion. So uh,
3: here's my. We actually had a conversation with Boyd Matheson about somewhat along these same lines, and he said that that politics and and political leaders usually follow public, you know, public opinion or pop culture. And so it was his opinion that, you know, there's a reward for what the behavior you're seeing now, mm-hmm. and that's why it's happening. And I guess my question is, outside of electing reasonable people that, um, that want to talk, want to listen to the other side and work with another, with people who differ from them, which I don't see a ton of those. I, there are definitely those people there. They're being drowned out by the extremes all around, in my opinion. But so what's the, how do you return reason to political discourse when it, there doesn't seem to be a reward? And you seem to be a prime example of that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Well, you asked the, ask the former elected official who just, who just uh, did not succeed in a reelection bid, right? But, yeah. So maybe Barely. I'm not the right person. Barely. <laughs> Barely, that's right. But um, I'll tell you, I think there are two types of public servants. Uh, one is like a thermometer. A thermometer just tells you what the temperature in the, is in the room and reflects that back to you. And the other, the other model for public service is to, a thermostat. A thermostat will change the temperature in the room. If I go and set the thermostat to 72 degrees, the temperature will become 72 degrees. And I think, you know, public service is is, um, finding the balance between that. Certainly as an elected representative, I need to represent the the will of my district, uh, but I also need to lead. I need to spend the time to become, come up to speed on an issue, to understand the intricacies of an issue, to listen to all sides. And then have an opinion that I believe is in the interest of the state and our country and to lead out and then to bring my constituents along and help them to understand why, why we've taken a, a certain position. And, you know, I've done that in my public service over the last 12 years. I remember um, working uh, one of the first issues that I worked on when I was even before I ran for office, I was uh, a staffer to Salt Lake City Mayor Becker. And uh, was working on Salt Lake City's non-discrimination protections. These are protections for LGBT individuals that they can't be fired from their job or evicted from their home if they're gay. And at the time, that was not that didn't have broad public support. But we felt that it was the right thing to do. We had to we wanted to do it in a way that was respectful of people of faith and and protected religious liberties. But we also felt that people could, should feel safe in their job and safe in their home. Uh, and protected from discrimination, and so working on that, I, I worked with the state legislature with um, faith groups, with business groups, with uh, Salt Lake City with LGBT advocacy groups, and we crafted uh, an approach that garnered broad support from from everybody and Today, Utah was um, one of the few red states that has enacted statewide, the, taking these state, uh, these protections that were adopted by Salt Lake City in 2009, they now apply statewide and they've got broad public support. And so, you know, I talk about being a thermometer and reflecting the will of our district, but if that's all you ever did, that, that's what's landed us where we are right now. Many of our representatives in Washington know that you can throw gas on the flames and, uh, and get people riled up and, and feed them misinformation that'll speak to their uh, angers and frustrations, and and you can do that and, and ride that wave into winning elections. And uh, but is it the responsible thing to do, or can we say here's where we need to get to? We need a we need peace. We need a place where all Americans feel safe and respected. Where we have, um, you know, people of faith and people of no faith can, uh, and you know, people of uh, racial um, minorities have opportunities to succeed and to lift themselves up in life. And, and we can do all of that, um, by, um, if our leaders will step forward and and decide to lead rather than just play to the, the, um, insecurities or fears of, of the public.
2: When we come back, we want to continue our discussion with uh, Ben McAdams, former Congressman and founder of the common ground Institute organization fo- focused on promoting the uh, consensus on important public policy issues. Uh, I'm Jason Lee. She's Amy Donaldson. This is Voices of Reason.
4: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds.
2: We're back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Amy Donaldson and Jason Lee. On this episode, we are speaking with Ben McAdams. He's a former congressman and founder of the Common Ground Institute. And he's also recently uh, joined the Sorenson Impact Center at the University of Utah's Echo School of Business, promoting investment in causes of public good. Uh, I guess kind of the the elephant in the room, as we (laughs) talked about um, literally the elephant in the room uh, and, and the red elephant at that. When we when we saw what happened on January sixth, at the time we were still during the Donald Trump administration, and since he has left, he uh, has taken to instead of Twitter because he can't do that anymore. Is um, he's put out? He's uh, organized the Office of Forty Five or Forty Five Office or something like that, and he puts out press releases weekly, uh, basically instead of <laughs> daily on just what's going on in the world and vilifying uh the left and anything having to do with the democrats and you know i don't know what to do with him i, I really don't but he still has a fervent uh base as we have seen with the folks that happened uh the storm the capitol and certainly a, a lot of lawmakers
1: mm-hmm.
2: what do you make of that uh, ben
1: well i you know i i think i look forward to the day when we can make government boring again i have enjoyed the last couple of months not knowing on an hourly basis what the president <laughs> is angry about and what he's worked up about, but um, I, think, I think people are, are ready for, to have government boring to just go about our lives and know that our government is, is working on issues. Uh, mm-hmm. We may agree or disagree, but not have a minute-by-minute play on that. You know, I think our country really is at a crossroads, and we need to decide what direction we're going to go in. Um, mm-hmm you you have Donald Trump and the politics of divisiveness and it works for him it's, it has worked really well for him you've seen people on the left try to mimic that and recognize that uh, that there's a recipe for success in being divisive and playing to people's raw emotions and and angers and frustrations and and you can you can win off of that there's the politics of inclusiveness and and trying to bring more people and grow your base and grow your support base and and doing that by uh, by reaching out and extending, um, ex- by listening and trying to uh, build consensus, and I think our country needs to de- needs to decide which which path are we going to go in. Are we going to elect leaders who are divisive and and tear us apart uh, and and focus on what our differences are, or are we going to elect leaders who recognize that we have more, more so much more in common than what divides us and work to bring us together? I think it's pretty clear which side of the uh, of that debate I'm on. Uh, what's not clear is what side of that debate the American people are on, and, uh, and and I hope we can have leaders who try to bring us together, and and will reject that politics of divisiveness, and start looking for leaders, Republican or Democrat, who are going to try to bring us together.
3: So, Ben, is that tell me how, where Common Ground Institute was born? Like, where, did that come from your experience or your, uh, the, you know, learning any lessons from the toxicity?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I know we, we uh, you know, everybody says or many people say that they want our elected officials to work together to to stop the finger pointing and yelling and just to work together to get things done. And in my experience, um, working to build consensus and the times where I've been successful and the times where I've seen our government fail to have success, um, what I recognize is success doesn't happen at the moment that you're casting a vote on the floor of Congress. If you're going to be successful in reaching across the aisle and building consensus, it starts weeks, sometimes months or even years before that vote is is cast. And what you need is um, people, stakeholders, elected representatives for sure, but also other stakeholders who have an interest in a particular issue, who are sitting down, who are talking about their differences and why they can't agree. And then some creative problem solving. How can we accommodate The concerns of one side and the goals of another side and how do how do we these pieces creatively fit together and that takes intense listening and uh creative problem solving and so i think that is missing i think we've lost the muscle memory of how to do that and so when i um when you know when my life enters this new chapter of of post political office holding office and campaigns i felt that i could continue to add value and and continue in a role of public service by creating this common ground institute that will identify issues of, uh, of divisiveness, but maybe where success is in the public interest and, uh, and, and engage and work on that listening, bringing together the stakeholders, again, not only elected officials, but other stakeholders to sit around a table and to talk about our goals and our differences and, and how we might accomplish both, accommodate our differences and accomplish our goals by uh, through creative problem solving. I think there's a need for that. Uh, it is a need that's not being met in our politics today. And it's an area where I think my experience as a consensus builder and a problem solver adds value and uh, I can continue to add value in, in this new role. You
2: got about two or three minutes to go in this segment. So are there particular issues that you feel as though uh, can be the, 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 the launch point of beginning this process of trying to find common ground, trying to help improve public policy though so that it serves the vast majority of people in our community?
1: Well, I'll tell you one that I'm looking at. I mean, there's, we're still, the organization's new, and so we're still kind of building out exactly where we will work and, and where we'll have, where we'll be welcomed to do some of this work. But just broadly, one that that I think is really interesting is the issue around public lands. Uh, Utah's we live in one of the most beautiful states in the country with uh, where tourism and our five national parks are uh, a, a big part of our economy. We also um, have extraction on some of our lands. We have ranching and other uses of our lands and and oftentimes that that discussion delves into divisiveness are you for conservation or opposed to conservation and as i look at it i think there's actually there is there's more in common there than divides us we can and i and i think with creative problem solving and and better listening we could probably bridge some of those differences i think if you, if you, if everybody's being honest, people will say, you have strong support for preserving some of our most pristine places in this, in this state. We also recognize that some of the ranching and other activities on our lands, people are trying to provide for their families and, and they love the land. The ranchers who I know in rural Utah love our lands and they consider themselves good stewards of our lands also. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, we rec- I, I, you know, I, I think nobody's, uh, everybody likes energy and, and gas in our cars, but <laughs> nobody necessarily is a proponent of extraction. But I think we can recognize that that is part of our reality today. And, mm-hmm. uh, and let's talk about it. Let's see how we can minimize the negative impacts on our land, maximize the benefits, both economically and the jobs that can come from our lands. And also preserving our most precious resources for, for future, uh, the lands and the beauty of our lands, preserving those resources for future generations.
3: Yeah. I I mean, the land thing, I think everyone loves it. Everyone that uses it for whatever use they use it for loves it. I've um, had all those experiences. I've been out on ATVs and motorcycles. I've been on horseback. I've been out trail running. I've been in the, in the national forest, uh, with conservation groups, um, and the thing that I think is really interesting is that they don't recognize that people who use the land differently do have the same affection and passion for it. And I, yeah. I do think that, so when you talk about doing intense listening, are you going to have like, you're going to bring people together? Or are you going to put out something that people that would give these different perspectives? Like how does that intense listening happen?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, before, that's, that's let me, hold on for a second. Oh, I, I, I just want to get to the because we will <laughs> come denied? back and have that discussion again. Okay, with ben,
3: okay. And, um, I'm so good at that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's called teasing. Uh, so <laughs> we're talking with former Congressman Ben McAdams about the issues that are important to us in our community and how that we can find common ground with this Common Ground Institute and figure out a way to focus on these problems, find solutions, and, and help us all while preserving our natural beauty. Uh, This is Voices of Reason. We're back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Jason Lee and Amy Donaldson speaking today with Ben McAdams. Founder of the Common Ground Institute, an organization focused on promoting and building consensus—I'm gonna get that word right one of these days—on important policy issues. He's also newly employed at the Sorenson Impact Center at the University of Utah's Echo School of Business, that promotes investment in causes of public good. So, Amy, you were asking a question before I rudely cut you off.
3: Yeah, I just wonder how the intense listening happens. I've been—I've been in some of these. you know, public hearings where everybody talks about the way they want to use our public lands or our our beautiful canyons. And, um, I don't always see that they recognize the affection the other people have, uh, because they're using the land differently or in a way that they think is uh, abusing the land or, you know, going to, going to ruin it for future generations. Anyway, I just wondered how that intense listening would happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, this is, this is an area where I I think you can see this, that they're Certainly are we're going to be better off sitting down and coming to an agreement and listening to each other and hammering out our differences than we are going to be just litigating this or legislating trying to legislate a solution. Uh, we could be stuck in gridlock for years by litigating and legislating. And much better off if we sit down and talk. And I think, um, first of all, any type of consensus building like this, in my experience and my work doing this successfully, it uh, first has to start with having every stakeholder at the table. Everybody has a reason to be there and they will be respected and their views and, and positions will be respected as we listen to each other and try and craft, uh, craft a consensus. And then hopefully people come to the realization that we are going to be better off by coming to an agreement than we are trying to Uh, to win through a a might makes right type approach by legislation or litigation. And uh, I think that's where it starts. It has to start with listening, identifying the concerns and respecting everybody's um, everybody at the table has, is well motivated and has good values. They may be different than my values. I I grew up, I'm a boy scout. I'm an Eagle scout. I grew up camping and enjoying these public lands, but we have to recognize multiple uses and multiple uh, desires for these lands. and, and, Give everybody the dignity of uh, acknowledging that their perspective is well-motivated and well-intended, and then let's start from there. But it has to start with uh, respect and it, it giving everyone the dignity to be at the table.
2: So when, uh, I want to kind of switch to your work with the Sorensen Impact Center, who, that was started and founded by James Lee Sorensen, who is the son and heir to the Sorensen uh, you know, multi-billionaire uh, fortune. Who, this family has been involved in philanthropy for decades. And uh, I, w- I wanted to get a sense of what made you want to be involved uh, with the Sorenson Impact Center and, it, and its focus on investing in uh, causes of public good.
1: Well, I'm a huge admirer of, of Jim Sorenson and the work that he's done philanthropically. And Jim really tries to uh, work by bringing together private sector forces for public good and, and recognizing that government and the private sector can, can support each other and work together, that a strong private sector can accomplish so much philanthropically uh, at scale and uh, and that using the tools of government to support a robust private sector solutions to some of our biggest challenges is sometimes the best way to to do it to to find solutions at scale so when i was mayor of salt lake county i worked with jim Sorensen and Sorensen impact on issues about homelessness or reducing recidivism or improving educational outcomes with disadvantaged youth and and we, we were trying to uh, work to bring better data-driven decisions into government. Jim was a big supporter of, of my effort to create the, the bipartisan What Works Caucus to try to make our decisions at the federal level data-driven and evidence-based. And so when and Impact reached out to me and asked if, um, if I'd be interested in, in joining and having an affiliation with the work they do, it just really felt... Like a natural extension of my public service as mayor and in Congress, and and their mission, I think, um, has done so much good and will continue to do good as we work to work to really create opportunities for people um, people who need them and to find and bringing making sure the private sector has a seat at the table in um, in providing solutions. You know, it really is a robust private sector that's helped with uh, finding cures for diseases and treatments for uh, and, and, you know, creating things like the smartphone that has been a great equalizer and created Mm -hmm. opportunities for people. And there's really a lot of good that can happen if we align the forces of the private sector in the direction of public good. Do
3: you see any, um, changes or, I mean, do you anticipate some differences based on what's happened in this year of COVID? I mean, it's had a, it's had a pretty significant impact on a lot of the business community, but, then I also heard like super wealthy got wealthier. I, I don't really know how to, I feel like our economy's pretty good for, you know, even though it's taking mm-hmm. a beating. Um, do you have any sense of like, is it, is it going to be harder to do this? Or are you going to have to be more creative or is it, um, do you think it's just going to pick up basically where you left off before? COVID? Well, you know,
1: you know, COVID will reshape us in ways that we are only beginning to understand. Things are, are, of course, very different right now in the middle of a pandemic. But we will start to see as things get back to normal, people get vaccinated, and we start to come out of this haze of, of the pandemic. Some things will return to the way they were, but many things will be forever changed. I think uh, remote, uh, remote work and remote learning is going to be part of our our future, and and how business and and society is reshaping. Certainly some of the people who are most vulnerable in our society have been hit the hardest. And and we're going to see a, a COVID generation, the The people, to, the young people today who are, especially the young learners are going to be impacted for their lifetime with some of the things that they've seen right now, some for good, but but many for bad. And I think we've got to grapple with that. And it's going to, you know, as we, the private sector is very resilient at figuring out ways to to address um, and to thrive in, in the midst of change and challenges. And I think it's gonna be through through a close collaboration between government and private sector that we work to, to meet the, the long haul challenges. We talked about long haulers of people having long-term impacts with COVID, but there are also gonna be long haul challenges for some of our kids and, and society. And, and we're gonna spend the next several years understanding what those are and then uh, many years Grappling with those changes and adapting.
2: What do you think this pandemic has shown you about just uh, our state, our community, our local communities, and, and maybe just at large in the United States about how we deal with, you know, uh, crisis?
1: Well, I you know I look at the last year. So we're right now this this week is the one year anniversary of when I was diagnosed with COVID, and in about a minute, the week, by the way. Okay, I spent eight days in the hospital very, very sick. And I'm fortunately 100% better right now. But we've seen heroes over the last year, people have stepped forward and done uh, amazing things to bring us together and to deal with um, this crisis. But we've also seen this pandemic bring out the worst of, of many of us, the divisiveness and the anger and the conspiracy theories and misinformation that's thrived. Uh, we've seen the best, and we've seen the worst, and, and going forward, we're going to have to deal with some of this div- these deep divisions that have been only exacerbated during the pandemic, and we're going to have, as a society, long-haul effects for many years to come.
2: We've been speaking with, uh, we are speaking with, uh, Ben McAdams, he's a former, former congressman and uh, founder of the Common Ground Institute, and he's also <clears throat> now working at the Sorenson Impact Center at the University of Utah's uh, Echo School of Business. Promoting Investment in Causes of Public Good. We'll continue our discussion with, uh, with Ben. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back once again with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Amy Donaldson and Jason Lee speaking today with Ben McAdams. He's the founder of Common Ground Institute, an organization focused on promoting and building consensus on important public policy issues. And he also works at the and Impact Center, uh, promoting uh, investment in causes of public good. Uh, Amy, you had a question for Ben?
3: Yeah, I'm just, as far as the the Common Ground Institute, I'm still sort of obsessed with this idea of um, I mean, I think it's never been more needed <laughs> in public policy. But I mean, the thing I've always loved about politics is it's really where we solve community issues, right? So if we have an issue as a society, we use politics to solve that problem. And so I just wondered, how, uh, like, what's the practical, sort? Of how will this work practically? Like, will you invite people involved in these issues into the same room? Um, are you going to wait for it to be invited by politicians? Like, how is it going to work?
1: yeah i you know I think that is that's something that we are working to to figure out right now uh certainly before consensus building can happen, you have to have stakeholders who want to want to find consensus and so I've reached out to people to to offer to help on on some issues that that I think consensus can be immensely beneficial to stakeholders. Uh, we talked about public lands I think there are uh, other areas where this type of consensus building can be helpful. I have deep experience and and have had uh numerous examples of success building consensus on some of our, our the toughest issues we faced as a community. And so, yeah, I'm looking for places where where not only people are, are interested in building consensus, but where uh, where I can be a, a helpful mediator in that regard and bringing people together together and facilitating those conversations. And, you know, I, w- I wanted to add um, one of one of the frustrations I had when I was in public service is how. Um, what what catches people 's attention is controversy and division. Those things rise to the top, whether it 's cable news they people always love to f- to focus on the food fight and the argument and um for those of us who are working behind the scenes to build consensus on really kind of some technical stuff that will have a, a profound impact on on people, but it just doesn 't get the the coverage and the headlines and the attention and in a time where we hear. On an hourly basis, about the divisiveness and the food fights that are happening in Washington, uh, what we don't hear about is the consensus building that's happening behind the scenes. I was a member of a, a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, of Republicans and Democrats who met on a regular basis to to hammer out our differences and to find common ground on on issues that we were working on. And so, knowing that that we focus that you know human nature tends to focuses on the divisions and the controversy, and not so much the the consensus. I wanted to do something about that. So one of the things that my Common Ground Institute is doing is we are going to be giving an award for people who have done the hard work of building consensus and and find those examples of people who have engaged in intense listening and problem solving and had success to the benefit of our community. So we're looking for nominations, and I would encourage people to to reach out to me on social media. It's at Ben McAdams UT. Or by email it's just Ben at CGI, that's for Common Ground Institute. Ben at org, and let me know who you think has been a problem solver who, who we should recognize.
3: Hmm. okay, I'm gonna I have some nominations for you. so I mean because it is something we've tried to recognize it and highlight it you know over the years, but it seems like you're absolutely correct and I, I think that's part of a media. Media is being reshaped just like everything is right now. Um, but I, I think that media didn't really know how to deal with someone like Donald Trump. And I think we've all asked ourselves a lot of hard questions in the last couple of years, you know, how should we handle something, um, that is divisive and who do we give the microphone to? Um, I, I, just think we've done a lot of learning, which leads me to my other question. What have you learned about your own leadership style and abilities coming out of your service in Congress?
1: Well, I've learned that um, the the best, you know, that uh, everybody who goes into public service is going to have strong opinions and passions, right? And things that I care about that I want to fight for. But I've also learned that it's important to keep an open mind, that I can learn from people who have different opinions. Sometimes I may never agree with them, but if you start from a place of respect and and recognizing that the person who you were arguing with on the the floor of the Utah State Senate or the House of Representatives when I was in both of those um, positions, that they are motivated by the same purpose that I am. And that is because they love our state and love our community and wanna make it a better place. And what I think makes it a better place may be what they think makes it a worse place, but we stand in debate for the same reason. And if you can start with that position of, of dignifying the position of somebody who you disagree with, that is the first seeds of consensus.
2: What you say makes so much sense, but it seems so difficult to, and and maybe it's just because we we hear the the loud voices on either end of the spectrum, right? Because I think generally speaking, average people tend not to talk at each other, but kind of speak with each other. And, and, But then then there's these voices, and unfortunately, it's becoming louder and louder, and and it's being more pervasive in our uh, public discourse, where they do vilify the other side, or they, you know, somehow, you know, they question people's patriotism, or other times people question people's sanity, Uh, and I find that even uh, just as objectionable, you know. Instead of being civil human beings, we've become kind of these angry uh, ideologues and, and we've not done our our society any good.
1: Yeah. I mean, far too often, you know, it's in human nature that if you hear something that maybe doesn't mesh with your worldview on a particular topic, you reject it and you push that away. And if it's something that reaffirms what you already think, um, then you, then it's easier to adopt it. It just, it feels, it, it, it vibes with what you're thinking. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a something we need to push ourselves to, to think, you know, whether it's a political party I align with or a economic idea or perception, to be willing to listen with an open mind to to a different opinion and a different approach, a different solution perhaps to a problem, and to at least at the very, very least dignify that a different position is, you know, when we get to the point that we say somebody who disagrees with me hates our country and, and we have nothing in common, that's where it really starts to break down. So at least say... You know, I, I'm of a particular political party or opinion, and I'm going to vote that way. But recognize that the other side is is seeking to do the exact same thing that we want to make our country a better place for everyone in it.
2: Well, that's I I think that's the way we're going to have to end today's I, program.
3: I actually love that as an ending. It's mm-hmm. an, it's aspirational. I love what you're doing um maybe we'll have to talk you into resurrecting your podcast uh, so because we'd love to follow along and hear what you're doing because this is it's been uh jason and i have been on on the rehab train trying to get back to believing that consensus and um you know cooperation is possible in government
2: yeah Listen, well i, I hope, hope it is i hope <laughs> it is too uh, i really do and thank you ben for joining us join us again for the next episode of the loudmouth projects voices of reason if you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonly1. Our show's Twitter handle is at VORpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time... I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.
0: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.